John, the first chapter. It's so good to see you all this morning. We have several guests who are visiting with us. We really appreciate you all being here. It's always good to worship with the people of God and study the Word of God together. That's always a very beautiful and encouraging thing. John chapter 1 is where we will get started here in a few short moments. In John chapter 1 and verse number 1, we are introduced to the Word. This Word was with God the Father from the very beginning of time. This Word was God. All things were made by the Word, and nothing was made that has been made without the Word. John continues to say that this Word was life. And he describes this life as the light of men. This light shined in darkness and the darkness could not comprehend the word. John drops down in verse number 14. And he says that this word became flesh and it dwelt among us. And we have seen or we have beheld his glory as a son from the father full of grace and truth. And so we ask ourselves Who is this word? This is none other than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In John chapter 1 and verse number 16, the Bible says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through who? Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. He has made Him known. What John is trying to get us to realize in this passage is, Jesus is God. Christ is God in the flesh. And Christ has revealed, He has explained, and He has extrapolated the meaning of God to this world. Christ has come to this world, and He is the exegesis of God the Father. And one of the most fascinating things that Christ has revealed to this world about God the Father is the fact that God knows the hearts of men. God knows the hearts of men. This is a fact that is seen all throughout the Bible from the very, very beginning of time straight through the Gospel of John. In John chapter 2, Jesus has been doing incredible things, many, many miracles, many, many mighty works, and many signs. Crowds are gathering around him. Scores of people are professing their faith in him. And the Bible says in John chapter 2 and verse number 23, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. Why? Because he knew all people. Pay attention to that phrase. He knew all people. The text continues to say in verse number 25 that he needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Why? Because he is God in the flesh and he knows all things. He is God in the flesh and he knows the hearts of men. 
The Message Bible describes this as Christ knew them inside and out. He saw straight through them. Though there were crowds of people following him, though there were many, many people who professed their faith in him, Christ could see past the lies. He could see past the hypocrisy. He could see past the charade straight into their hearts because he is God and he knows all things. Again, this is a fact that is pronounced from the very, very beginning of time straight through the Gospel of John. In John chapter 1, when Jesus is first introduced to Nathanael, for the very first time, Jesus says to him, Behold an Israelite, a man in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael cries back, How do you know me? Jesus says, Before Philip called you, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. Nathanael says, Sir, I perceive that you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Why didn't Nathanael perceive this about Jesus? Because Christ knew his heart. Christ knew that Nathanael was a good man. He knew that he was an honest man. He knew that he was an Israelite. He knew that he was a man of no deceit because he is God and he knows the hearts of men. In John chapter 4, Jesus is having a conversation with a Samaritan woman by a well. He tells this woman that he is the source of eternal life. This woman asks him, how can I have this living water? Jesus says, I am the source of living water. Call your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you are right. In fact, you have five husbands, and the one that you are living with is not your husband. She says, sir, I perceive you to be a prophet. Why did she perceive him to be a prophet? Because he knew her heart. He is God and he knows all things. He knew about that woman's marriage situation. He knew about her divorces. He knew about her five husbands. And he knew about that man who she was living with who was not her husband because he is God and he knows the hearts of men. In John chapter 5, in John chapter 5, as Jesus is contending with the Jewish religious leaders, they are accusing him of blasphemy, and they are accusing him of forsaking the Sabbath. Jesus begins to tell them that God has sent him to this earth to judge all men, to give life, to receive glory and honor, and God the Father has given him all authority. And he continues to tell these Jewish religious leaders that they do not have the love of God in their hearts. He says, I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. How did Jesus know these facts? How did Christ know that these Jewish religious leaders weren't truly concerned about whether he kept the Sabbath or whether he was truly blaspheming God? How did Christ know that these Jewish religious leaders' only motivation was to have everyone around them like them and appreciate them and despise Jesus? How did Christ know that their hearts were not truly directed towards God? He knew this because he is God and he knows the hearts of men. In John chapter 6, in John chapter 6, just a day after Christ has fed 5,000 men with five loaves of bread and two fish, crowds are surrounding him, crowds are gathering around him. And Jesus says to the crowds in John chapter 6 and verse number 26, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. How did Jesus know these facts? How did Jesus know that this crowd of people were not truly concerned about spiritual things? How did Jesus know that this crowd of people were only concerned about what Christ could provide for them physically? How did he know this? He knew this because he is God and he knows the hearts of men. Later in John chapter 6, as Jesus is telling this crowd that he is the source of eternal life, he is the bread of life, and those who wish to have eternal life must feast on his flesh and drink of his blood, the people begin to grumble among themselves. This is a hard saying. Who can listen? And the Bible says in John chapter 6 and verse number 61, but Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? How did Christ know within himself that the crowd was grumbling? How did Christ know that they took offense at his words? How did Christ know that the things that he was saying was hard for them to hear? He knew these facts because he is God and he knows the hearts of men. In John chapter 13, as Jesus is sharing his final meal with his 12 apostles, he begins to tell them that one of them will betray him. They are perplexed by the words that Jesus is saying. They all begin to ask, is it I, Lord Peter? Is it I, Lord James? Is it I, Lord John? Is it I, Lord Judas even? John, the disciple whom Jesus loves, is leaning up against Jesus' chest. Peter motions to John to get his attention. John, Ask Jesus who it is who's going to betray him. John leans up against Jesus. Who's going to betray you? Jesus says, the one who I give this bread to after I dip it into the basin. He dips it and he hands it to Judas. And he says to Judas, what you are going to do, do quickly. And the text says, at this moment, Satan entered into Judas and Judas left the upper room. How? How in the world did Jesus know that Judas was going to betray him? How in the world did Jesus know that Judas was up to no good? Christ knew these facts because he is God and he knows the hearts of men. In John chapter 13, later in this text, Jesus is telling the 12, or excuse me, the 11, that the shepherd, he will be struck and the sheep will scatter. Peter, as he so often does, speaks up and says, Lord, they may all fall away, but I will never fall away. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, this day will not end until you deny that you know me three times. And that is exactly what happened in John chapter 18. How? How in the world did Jesus know that Peter was going to deny him three times? How in the world did Jesus know that that rooster was going to crow twice? How in the world did Jesus know that Peter was going to do this? He knew this because he is God and he knows the hearts of men. And so finally, in John chapter 16, as Jesus is speaking to his disciples in very clear and literal language about his death, his burial, and his resurrection, the Bible says in verse number 29, that his disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know 
that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Friends, we serve a God who came to this world in flesh and blood, lived among men, and knew about the thoughts the intentions, the actions, and the hearts of men. And today is July the 21st, 2019, and God still knows the hearts of men. God still knows our hearts. The Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 that all things are naked and exposed to he who we will give an account. Job says in Job chapter 31 and verse 4 that the Lord knows our ways and he numbers our steps. The psalmist asked the rhetorical question in Psalm 139 starting in verse number 7. Lord, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, Even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I save, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. Even darkness is light to you, for the night is as bright as the day. The point is, God sees, he knows, he hears, and he has insight into every single thing that I have done that you have done, the hundreds and thousands of people in Columbia, the hundreds and thousands of people in Spring Hill, the thousands of people in Thompson Station, the thousands of people in Franklin, the thousands of people in Tennessee. God knows every single thought, action, and intention of every single human being on the face of this planet. And when I think about that, I am both comforted and terrified. That is a comforting and it is a terrifying reality. It's comforting because God knows our righteousness. He knows about all of the good things that we have done. In John chapter 1, Jesus knew that Nathanael was a righteous man. He knew that Nathanael was an honest man. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 8, in a world that was plagued by sin, in a world where every thought and intention of the heart of man was only evil continually, God looked upon the world and he saw and he knew about the righteousness of Noah. Noah was a blameless man in the sight of God. God knew about it and he appreciated it. In Ezekiel chapter 14 and verse number 14, as the Lord is speaking to his prophet about the impending doom of the nation of Israel, he says to Ezekiel, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were in this world, they would only be able to save themselves by their righteousness. God knew about, he respected, and he appreciated the righteousness of Noah, Daniel, and Job. The point that I'm trying to make is, as people who are living in a spiritually chaotic world, as people who are living in a spiritually defiled world, as people who are living in a world where that exalts folly and it despises righteousness, 
We can be comforted knowing that our goodness, our faithfulness, and our righteous deeds do not go unnoticed. And my admonition for you this morning is stay faithful, stay righteous, keep serving the Lord, keep trusting the Lord, because He knows about what you are doing, and He appreciates it. Christ told us many, many years ago in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, if we continue to pursue the Lord, if we continue to seek the Lord, if we continue to stay faithful to God, He will bless us both physically and spiritually in an abundant way. This is a comforting reality that we serve a God who knows the hearts of men and he knows about my righteous deeds. That is comforting. But it is also very, very terrifying to know that this same God who knows about my righteousness knows about all of the unrighteous things that I have done and not repented of. In John chapter 4, Jesus knew about that Samaritan woman's sins. He knew about her divorces. He knew about her marriages. He knew about her cohabitation. He knew about her unrighteousness. In John chapter 13, Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. He knew that Peter was going to deny him. Christ knew about their unrighteousness. In Genesis chapter 3, Jesus, God, excuse me, knew that Adam and Eve ate of that forbidden fruit. In Genesis chapter 4, God knew that Cain killed Abel. He says to Cain, the voice of your blood, your brother's blood, is crying out to me from the ground. He knew all about it. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, God knew that King David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. He knew that King David had Bathsheba's husband killed. And the text says in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 26 through 27, that David thought that he had covered his sins, but this deed displeased the Lord. Why? Because the Lord knew what he had done. The point that I'm trying to make is, Our unrighteous deeds that we have not repented of are known by God. And this is a terrifying reality to the one who thinks that he can simply live and let live. This is a terrifying reality to the one who says, I'm still young. I have tomorrow to get my life right. This is a terrifying reality to the one who despises and forsakes the Lord and lives his or her life however they want. It is terrifying to know that God knows about our unrighteous deeds that have not been remitted of. Because the Bible tells me in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse number 14 that God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing that we have done whether good or evil. In Romans chapter 13 and verse 12, Paul says that each of us will give an account to God. Paul says again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 that we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and we will all give an account for the deeds that we have done in our body, whether good or evil. Why? Because the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12 that one day, we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And every single thing is naked and exposed to he who we will give an account. We will give an account for everything that we have done because God knows about everything that we have done, whether good or evil. Hopefully, this morning, I have impressed upon you that we serve a God who 
from the very, very beginning of time, knows the hearts of men. This can be a comforting reality, or it can be a terrifying reality. It can be comforting to the one who lives his life for the Lord, who strives to serve the Lord every single day, who picks up his cross, his death instrument, daily, and follows the Lord, and lives for the Lord's will, his wishes, his desires, and his wants. The fact that God is omniscient can be a comforting reality to such a person, but it can be a terrifying reality to the one who lives according to his own wishes, his own will, his own desire, and his own wants. It can be a terrifying reality to the one who comes to church every Sunday morning and every Sunday night and every Wednesday night simply going through the motions. It can be a terrifying reality to the one who is not truly invested in the things of God. It can be a terrifying reality for the one who is putting off their salvation because of friends, because of family members, because of coworkers, or because simply you want to live your life how you want. That is terrifying to know that there is a God who created this world who knows your heart and he knows your intentions. What will the character of God be to you this morning? Will it be comforting or will it be terrifying? If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, today is the perfect opportunity to become one. You do so by hearing the word of God, believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, repenting and turning away from your sins, confessing the name of Jesus, and having your sins completely washed away in the watery grave of baptism. If you've done that before, but you've made mistakes, you've lived your life how you want to, then come back today. Obey the Lord. Repent of your sins and turn to the Lord. If you have any spiritual need that we can help you with this morning, please come to the front while we stand and sing the song of invitation.